Welcome once again to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as ever by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. As we come towards the end of July, how bad is the COVID-19 situation, both in Britain and overseas? How much credibility should we place on official figures? And what about masks? Their use wasn't compulsory when the virus was at its most prevalent in Britain during March and April, but now they are. What are we to make of the government's U-turn? Do stay with us. Well, Greg, we're recording this on Saturday evening, and about an hour or so before we began recording this, some news came through that UK holidaymakers and travellers in general who are in Spain at the moment will have to quarantine for two weeks when they return to the United Kingdom. How many of them will actually do it is another matter, of course. There has been a significant flare-up in Spain over the course of the last 10 days or so. Um, do we see in pockets of it with other countries as well? Do you think this is the start of something quite significant? I think we're going to have a rolling system of whose turn it is to be in quarantine, to be honest, um, because this is not going away. Uh, there is no sign of it going away. Uh, look at the mess that America is getting itself into at the moment with half their governors arguing with the president and the president putting troops into their respective states, partially connected to COVID and partially collected, connected to the Marxist Black Lives Matter and so on and so forth. You have rightly outlined the situation in the United States. We know things are pretty bad with the spread of the virus in South America. We don't know quite how bad things truly are in Africa because getting reliable information from the various African countries is not easy. But we look in Australia. What, one thing I have noticed, I mean, I, I consume quite a bit of Australian media. I've played quite close attention to what's going on in Australia. And what it seems clear to me is there's been a significant flare-up in the Melbourne area, but also that each Australian state is to quite a large extent autonomous in terms of the rules it applies. And we're hearing state governors having a go at each other quite a lot in recent weeks. But you look at the world as a whole, Israel close to going back into lockdown, uh, South Korea, a significant flare-up. I just mentioned Melbourne. We know about Barcelona, but that now seems to be spreading to other parts of Spain. Even the data we get out of this country, if, if we'll talk in a minute about daily cases and how reliable or otherwise these figures might be, but they've plateaued at the sort of 800 to 600 sort of figure since the beginning of July. Things haven't gone down from that position. So this is something then. It's easy for us to look in this country in a rather insular way and think, actually, things aren't so bad. We can ease off on this. We can ease off on that. But you look at it from a global perspective, we are most definitely not out of the woods by any means, and there is no sign whatsoever that we're nearing the end of this. Well, with, uh, I think we're still highest, yes, with the highest death rate per million population, I don't think Britain has anything to be complacent about, except for one saving grace. I think Britain's figures are probably more accurate than the country's the figures of other countries. What makes you say that? Seem to be, well, they seem to be being fudged for political reasons. I cannot, for instance, believe for a second that with, uh, what is it, three times, nearly four times as many cases uh, recorded in Russia, Russia has a, a quarter of the number of deaths Britain has. 
Yeah, but here's the, here's the issue, isn't it? How do we go about recording deaths? And this is why I, I've realized, I, I know we talked about this a lot in the early editions of the Coronavirus Update series of podcasts we did throughout March and April, that comparing countries, I've realized, is largely a futile exercise because it all depends on how you register deaths. Now, the problem we've got in this country, and this is something that's really come to the forefront in the last few weeks, is that the way COVID-19 deaths is registered is different in England, in Wales, and in Scotland. They've got different criteria. What we have seen in England is, for example, if you came down with COVID-19 in March, made a full recovery, and then were then knocked down and killed by a bus last week, that is being counted as a COVID-19 death. So when I say, just looking at the figures, that we've plateaued at this sort of 600 to 800 sort of level every day in terms of new cases since the beginning of July, how much does that really mean? What does the, cause, because, all right, as I say, somebody who was knocked down and killed by a bus last week but had COVID back in March in England is being counted. Somebody very elderly in a care home who was highly likely to die anyway but happened to have COVID is being counted. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not being flippant here. Every single death is a family tragedy and a tragedy for the people who knew them. But how many of these people would have died anyway? That's the, that's the key point, isn't it? Oh, indeed. And um, to be honest, I don't think the figures are telling us anything very serious, other than when within a region you suddenly see fluctuations that are inexplicable. Now, when I say inexplicable, if you suddenly find there's a fluctuation because a state in America hadn't bothered recording its figures for three months, um, that is explicable. Um, if you find that Russia decides to include in its deaths uh, the people who died of COVID in respiratory wards, when we know that in hospitals, they have specialist hospitals in Russia, where all people with respiratory problems go, and if you die in one of those hospitals, it's a respiratory death, not a COVID death. So the figures are always going to be basically bunkum, just something people can keep the discussion going on, similarly to our discussions. We don't actually know with any degree of accuracy what we're talking about. Well, this is part of the problem, isn't it? Because it goes beyond that. We were, we've heard in recent weeks, oh, there has been a flare-up in the city of Leicester in the East Midlands in England. Now, people have been saying, ah, yes, there was a Black Lives Matter protest and people were packed into the town square. And particularly in the east of Leicester, there's a, again, I'm not making a generalization here. This is what people have been saying. There's a lot of families of Asian origin where people are living in overcrowded conditions. But there's a big factor that is not being talked about anything like as much. And that is that as soon as there was the very early signs of some sort of flare up in Leicester, they suddenly ramped up testing. Well, guess what? If you ramp up testing, you're likely to find more cases. So therefore, is the lockdown we are seeing in Leicester an overreaction? And let's not forget now that Leicester is by no means the only city in the United Kingdom where families of Asian origin are living in overcrowded housing. And Leicester is by no means the only city in the United Kingdom where three, four, five, six weeks ago, there were Black Lives Matters protests. Has this lockdown in Leicester and... We're seeing it in parts of Lancashire as well. Some of the old mill towns of Lancashire, I think Rochdale or Blackburn and places like that, I think I'm right in saying. Is this an overreaction, this lockdown there? Well, as you point out, different areas. Um, 
is it all because, and the one figure you didn't give, Leicester has a higher percentage of Asian population? I don't know. And I don't know about Rochdale what the percentages are. You have to take into consideration so many different factors. What I do know is this disease is not proving at the moment to be anything like as dangerous as the Spanish flu, which killed 50 to 100 million people. However you stack the figures, however inaccurate they are, at the moment, we're still only talking of 645,000 deaths worldwide. Mm. We're not even up to the million. Now, personally, I think the figures are probably approaching 2 million deaths. And I think that although the world figure for total cases is 16 million, I would hazard a guess that they were nearer 40 to 50 million cases worldwide. Is that because of the situation in Africa where we just don't know? Is that what you're basing that on? Well, no hospitals, no record department, nobody counts Indians in India. China seems to be producing some very weird statistics. Russia, we know their statistics are, are all but balmy. Um, are we realistically getting figures out when we hear that um, Iran has declared that it's got 26, 29 million um, people have had the vi virus? Yeah, but Iran is also saying that they're, they're close to going back into lockdown again. I saw a report on Al Jazeera about well, that. Well, I should think so with 29 million reported mm. cases. Well, again, so the, the, the gist of what you're saying is getting the truth about figures is very difficult but the evidence does suggest that it's nowhere near as bad as Spanish flu was but in terms of where we go from here we are seeing here in the United Kingdom the very gradual reopening of life if you like to different extents in the different constituent parts of the United Kingdom but the, the gradual move is you know pubs are reopening slowly restaurants are reopening slowly with social distancing this time next week the world snooker championship begins at the crucible theater in sheffield one third of seats will be available but there are very very strict restrictions in place as to how you behave coming and going from there and we're just seeing this very gradual reopening of life and the question is how we go coming forward because let's say that the evidence seems to suggest that as I say, throughout July, we've seen these, these numbers of daily cases roughly the same, 500, 600, 700, 800, down a bit, up a bit. That's been the general pattern in this country. In terms of how we proceed in the months ahead and possibly even the years ahead, is it a case of we need to protect the most vulnerable, but the rest of us really need to start getting back to some form of normality for the sake of the economy and for the sake of our own sanity? Or is this going to be a case of, using the example we've seen this Saturday tea time, we open up, then we have to shut down again when it flares up. Uh, people have to come into quarantine if those have been in Spain. Or might we have another period of lockdown, national lockdown or local lockdown, as we get into the autumn, into the winter? What do you think is going to happen? Well, it's all very well having a lockdown on people coming back home from Spain. They all arrive at um, Prestwick, Manchester, um, or... Gatwick or Heathrow or Stansted, what, and then get on public transport and travel home to then sit in the house for 14 days. Mm. Um, mm. You know, it's a bit of a nonsense, isn't it? Um, 
what are to what extent are we locking them down if they're going home on public transport for god's sake well talking of things being a bit of a nonsense uh, i want to dedicate the time we got left to the issue of masks because i'm afraid i haven't bought into any of this i'll obey the law and if i'm on public transport i'll have to follow the law the law in wales is rather different to what it is in england we here in wales on my side of the border we don't have to wear masks when we're in shops and so forth on your side of the border the english side you do but there's a good letter in today's daily telegraph from uh, graham lowe of malpass in cheshire and he said uh, sir the advice on masks from the welsh government which in spite of it bizarrely recommends their use is quote at the present time, the widespread use of masks by healthy people in the community is not supported by high-quality scientific evidence. There is, it says, evidence to suggest that the wearing of face coverings gives people a false sense of security, which makes them less careful about social distancing and hand-washing. And that's coming from the Welsh government. But looking at it at the way the UK government has behaved, particularly in relation to England, look at the chronology of events on this because remember when we were having the real flare-up in march april time we were not told to wear masks now on july the 12th deborah cohen the medical correspondent of newsnight revealed an astonishing thing she said the world health organization had reversed its advice on face masks from don't wear them to do wear them but the key fact was that it not done so because of scientific information. The evidence had not backed the wearing of face coverings, but because of political lobbying. And Deborah Cohen said on Twitter that we had been told by various sources that the WHO committee reviewing the evidence had not backed masks, but they had recommended them due to political lobbying. She said that the BBC had then put this to the WHO, which did not deny it. Now, in March, the WHO had said, there is currently no evidence that wearing a mask, whether medical or other types, by healthy persons in the wider community setting, including universal community masking, can protect them from infection with respiratory viruses, including COVID-19. And then in America, CNN reported on March the 31st that Mike Ryan, the executive director of the WHO Health Emergencies Program, said at a briefing in Geneva, there is no specific evidence to suggest that the wearing of masks by the mass population has any potential benefit. In fact, there is some evidence to suggest that the opposite in the misuse of wearing a mask properly or fitting it properly. But then a few weeks ago, the WHO changed its advice to say that it advises the government should encourage the general public to wear masks where there is widespread transmission and physical distancing is difficult, such as on public transport, in shops or in other confined or crowded environments. And then earlier that same month, England's chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, said that wearing face masks would do little to combat the, out the outbreak. And while noting that if someone was infected, they might reduce the danger of spreading the disease by covering their faces, Professor Whitty said that wearing a face mask had almost no effect on reducing the risk of contracting the illness. And he stated, in terms of wearing a mask, our advice is clear that wearing a mask, if you don't have an infection, reduces the risk almost not at all. So we do not advise that. And yet also in March, the Advertising Standards Authority banned two firms' advertisements for masks, stating that the adverts were misleading, irresponsible, and likely to cause fear without justifiable reason. And at about the same time, Dr. Jenny Harries, a deputy chief medical officer, warned that people could be putting themselves at more risk from contracting COVID by wearing the masks. She said that masks could actually, actually trap the virus, 
cause the person wearing it to breathe it in. She explained, for the average member of the public walking down the street, it is not a good idea. And on the 3rd of April, the other deputy chief medical officer, Professor Jonathan Van Tam, said that he did not believe healthy people wearing them would reduce the spread of the disease in the UK. The British government has also shifted its position a lot, and as recently as June the 24th, in a series of official pamphlets for the reopening of shops and services, the Department for Business and Enterprise said repeatedly, the evidence of the benefit of using a face covering to protect others is weak, and the effect is likely to be small. So there you have it, Greg. Hesitant words such as probably, could, may, which could equally be as well expressed by probably not, could not, or may not. And what is interesting is that the English Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, his edict was that the first action by the London government, which actually copied a move made by Nicola Sturgeon, her administration in Edinburgh, there are many signs that this has not been thought through, at least by scientists. So with that in mind, why are we more likely to spread COVID in a shop than we are in a pub or a restaurant? This whole thing does not make sense. I think you've walked into the official trap. You are aiding them in confusion. Now, I don't think the politicians are deliberately confusing people. I think they're doing it out of pure incompetence plus attempts at populism. And the last piece of advice you gave, which was listen to scientists, I think is barking mad. The last people on earth to listen to on such things would seem to be scientists because they managed to get COVID completely and utterly wrong. Well, who if should we, we listen to then? Because, okay, science is not an absolute thing. You, give me a moment, I will tell you. Okay. Um, but let me make the point that scientists to date have not actually stated where COVID came from. Scientists and the medical profession do not actively state the origins, yet there is a firm belief that it was from a laboratory that had acquired, whether uh, in a clandestine manner or otherwise, the virus from another laboratory in Canada and transported it to Wutan Laboratory, where biosecurity had already been criticized as not up to standard uh, by the CIA in 19, sorry, in 2017. This hasn't been stated by these scientists. And the scientists said that we should have lockdowns, etc. And then all of a sudden they're saying, well, not really. So I'm going to make the very clear suggestion to our supporters and listeners and detractors that the best thing you can do is use common sense. Now, if somebody sneezes near you without a mask on, rather unpleasantly, you will feel the moisture of their sneeze or the propulsion of air from their cough or sneeze. Don't you wish they were wearing a mask to reduce the distance that spread? From your point of view, you are wearing a mask for the benefit of other people. Not yourself. It won't stop you catching that because you are as likely to get the virus through the mucous membrane of your eyes 
as through your nose or mouth. So what you're saying then, it's a psychological thing very, very quickly. Is that what you're saying? I noticed very clearly when my wife and I went into supermarkets wearing a mask before masks were compulsory, people kept their distance because it reminded them. I've been into supermarkets with and without masks since. Without a mask on, people completely ignore social distancing. Without me having a mask on, they come too close. Thank you. Well, I think we've summed up in 20 minutes the situation, the state we're at at the moment. We still know relatively little about how the virus works, though more than we did a few months ago. And I think the basic message is apply a little bit of common sense and keep your wits about you. My thanks as always to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. Join us again next time.